What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I am your host, Mike Milner, and I hope you are having an amazing week so far. Whenever it is that you're listening to this, it might be the weekend, it might be the week. You could be in the gym, you could be in your car, you could be doing some yard work or walking or whatever you're doing. I hope it is a beautiful day for you. I'm going to get back to a little more brain-related conversation today for those of you that like to nerd out about the human mind and the fascinating phenomenon that it is, you will absolutely love this conversation. For those of you who are like, I don't really care about that. Just tell me about nutrition and fat loss and how to look better naked. This will apply to those concepts, but it's not direct. I'm not going to tell you how much to eat or what to eat or anything like that. We have, we have systems for, for doing that. We have options for doing that. If that's really all you care about, um, then you should be joining some kind of a program. You should be signing up for coaching or the challenge. Uh, we've got our shred with M&M that's now open and for enrollment will probably be sold out by the time this episode comes out. So I'm not going to push it really. Um, if you're already enrolled, congrats. You are an action taker, which is a beautiful thing. Action takers are always rewarded in life. There, there's just, it's a fundamental truth that will always stand the test of time. When you remove the belief that there needs to be a right time for something or that you need to get your ducks in a row or that you need to get organized before you take action. Um, when you remove all of those false beliefs, you will start to see an incredible amount of success occur and happen. And people will say that you're lucky and why can't I be like that person? And the reality is they can, and you can be like that person who simply takes action, who realizes that there's no such thing as the right time, who just does shit and makes it happen you can become that person. The minute that you flip that switch, everything changes fundamentally. However, it's okay to not be that person right now and to strive to become that person. There's a transition. I went from the procrastinator, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to come up with every excuse under the sun, why it's not for me and it's not the right time and whatever other excuse I told myself. And I had to transition gradually to the person who just makes shit happen. If I see something that I want that I know is important to me, I just go after it. I get it done. I know that I get organized after I take action, which is what most people do. The belief that you need to be organized before taking action is a false belief. You're, you're trying to cling to false certainty. If I do this organization, then I'll be ready for action. That is false because the only way to know what needs to get organized or what's going to happen is to actually do it. So we have this, this mental cognitive distortion that tells us that we can predict the future, or that we know what's coming and we know that, all right, well, if I do X, Y, and Z, then I'll be prepared for A, B, and C. Not true. You have no fucking idea what the future holds. The only thing that you control is the action. Take, take the necessary steps forward, and then you'll learn what's happening, and then you'll be able to organize accordingly. And then as new information comes becomes available because of the actions that you're taking, you can adjust, which is how successful people continue to win. It's not that they're any better. It's simply that they take action, and then they get organized, and then they assimilate new information, and they use that to correct course. That's it. It's nothing special. Um, today, I'm actually going to talk more about cognitive distortions and how to make better decisions. I think that one of the 
fundamental flaws that we have as humans is uh, we're actually really bad decision makers. And there's a reason for that. Number one, we think emotionally first. We are emotional beings who think. We don't start with logic and reason, even though it's important for us to believe, like we think that we're very logical and rational and we think things through and make decisions based off of reason and data and information. Evidence would suggest that it's the opposite. We think and we make decisions emotionally first, and then we try to validate and justify the decision with logic and reason. There's a big distinction there. Most of the time, it's the emotion first and then the logic and reason instead of the other way around. We typically don't lead with logic and reason, even though we want to believe For those of you who are like, no, that doesn't apply to me, it probably especially applies to you. There's such thing um, as what what is called G.I. Joe bias, where because you know something, that means that you're not like, just because you're aware of something, you believe that it doesn't impact you, except G.I. Joe bias tells us that that's not true. Being aware of a cognitive bias or a cognitive distortion means that you are still susceptible to it. And the best place to come from is the place of awareness, knowing that even though I know this thing exists and I can fall and I can be susceptible to it, um, I am going to take the necessary steps to try to make the best decision for myself more times than not. You're never going to be perfect. Um, There's always going to be decisions that hindsight will tell you was a poor decision. But remember, the outcome doesn't determine whether the decision was a positive decision or not. Was it a good decision based off of the outcome? That is a really poor way to assess decision-making and behaviors. Like you can do everything right and you can get the wrong outcome and then be like, oh, I shouldn't have made that decision. The, The expert thing to do, the advanced thing to do is to say, why did I make those choices? Why did I participate with, you know, why did I act that way? Why did I choose those behaviors? And, and did it make sense at the time? Hindsight gives you all of those answers after the fact. It's not helpful. Like, yes, it's great to look back and say, what can I learn and what could I have done differently? But what's most important is to remember that the outcome doesn't tell you whether it was a good decision or not. For example, a lot of people play Russian roulette and win. Does that mean that it was a good decision to play? The outcome is that they won. Does that make the behavior and the decision a positive one? Is that a good decision? Probably not because you're risking your life. Um, what's at stake there? You know, like, like let's really look at why did we make these choices? What are, what are the factors that went into that decision-making process? Um, first of all, before I go into this rabbit hole any further, because we're really going to dig into cognitive distortions and how our brains work when it comes to decision-making, how to make better decisions, how to be aware of the bias and still not fall um, prey to it. I need to know if you like this kind of stuff. I'm always going to ask because this is the shit that's fascinating to me, but I also know that you're probably here because you want to learn some cool shit about the metabolism and how fat loss works and nutrition and all that stuff, which we cover plenty. But when I throw in the more mental side of things, the psychology side of things, I need to know if it's landing. I need to know if you appreciate it, if it's helpful in any way. So the best way to do that, number one, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And number two, 
Take a screenshot of the episode, share it to your stories, tag me on Instagram at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner, and just let me know like, hey, this episode really resonated with me, or this was really insightful, or I pulled away just like one little nugget that was helpful, whatever it may be, just let me know. All right, so here's going to be the structure. I'm going to go over, there's a lot of cognitive distortions that exist in our brains, meaning little shortcuts that, that we take from a processing standpoint. Um, our brains are like the, the most epic supercomputer in the world, processing thousands of data points over time. And all this information is coming in and going out. And the brain works like a, a beast around the clock. And in order to help preserve some of that energy, our brain likes to create these shortcuts, these ways of, of shortcutting the, the cognitive load and the cognitive processing that takes place on a daily basis. Those are known uh, as cognitive distortions. It's a way of getting from point A to point B in a shorter time frame. So we have several different cognitive distortions. I'm going to go over the top 10 that I think help to explain why a lot of us struggle to make better decisions and to reach our goals. I'm going to relate this specifically to your goals in fitness and nutrition, but of course, this applies to life in general. Um, number one is my favorite, <laughs> my favorite, just because it's the most common and, and everybody understands this one, um, all or nothing thinking. So can also be called black and white thinking, but it's either like, if I'm not perfect, I failed. The grade is either an A or an F. There's, there's no middle ground. It's, it's like, and, and, and we tend to, you know, vacillate back and forth between all or nothing, meaning that when things are going well, we extrapolate that and we believe that they're always going to be that way. And when they're going poorly, we think that we're the most epic failure in the world and we're never going to be successful. We have a really hard time living in the middle. Um, it's, it's in, especially in nutrition. Like when you slip up one day, instead of thinking like, you know what, that was six out of seven days that I did really well. You think to yourself, oh my God, I'm the biggest failure. I can't do this. I'm, you know, here we go again another failed diet, another failed attempt, right? You start to extrapolate the nothing. You, you go to the nothing side of things. And then when you're like, all right, you know what? I can get back on track. Getting back on track to you, go, you go to the all. Like, I'm going to be totally perfect. I'm going to nail my nutrition. I'm going to nail my macros. I'm going to hit my training sessions. I'm going to get my steps in, drink my water, take my supplements. Like you go to the other end of the extreme. Um, that's the all or nothing cognitive distortion that our brain typically takes us, it's, it's not productive, it's not helpful, but these are things that we need to create awareness around. Um, speaking of taking your supplements, um, I'm just going to throw in real quick that we still have our 20% off Organifi deal going on. They just ha uh, released a new product called Glow, which is a vegan collagen peptide, which I think everybody should try. Um, collagen peptides are great for um, joint health, cartilage health, um, getting in your protein. I used to put it in my coffee um, back when I was taking it more regularly, now that Organifi has released a product, which we know has the best ingredients, um, I'm going to be implementing that again and just dumping it in my coffee. Um, you can get it at Organifi.com slash popfam. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash P-O-P-F-A-M. Use code popfam at checkout to get 20% off. You guys know I love their green juice. You know I'm obsessed with their gold juice. Mel and I Every single night, we have our little routine with our gold chocolate, uh, little hot chocolate nighttime drink. 
highly recommend you try that. Um, but also give the Glow a try and let me know what you think. Twenty um, percent off all of their products. Amazing ingredients. Amazing company. And I'm still honored to be a partner. So go to organifi.com/popfam. Use code popfam at checkout. Get your twenty percent off. All right. So number two, um, the mental filter where. We, this is a cognitive bias called the mental filter where we pay attention to certain types of evidence, right? Like we will notice our failures, but we won't notice our successes or we'll only filter evidence that supports a pre-existing belief. So if there's evidence to the contrary, we just ignore it or we write it off. If there's evidence to support what we already believe, then like we, we latch onto that. That's, that's the mental filter bias where uh, we, we will only pay attention to certain types of evidence instead of looking at the big picture. And by the way, this is a major problem, especially now with how social media is curated, because typically you're going to get spoon fed information that already, um, that is already in alignment with your pre-existing beliefs. So it's like taking inherent bias and then just pouring gas on that fire. Um, it's a dangerous place to be. So it's important to be aware of that, to know, like, is there evidence to the contrary that I'm ignoring or can I speak to somebody who disagrees? Like that's one of the best and most valuable things that you can do is just have an open conversation. Now you have to be careful with where that conversation is taking place and with whom, but if you have a friend that you know can be cordial and just have open dialogue about something you disagree on, like find out, is there evidence to the contrary? Are there, is there, am I falling prey to this bias, this distortion? Um, so that's number two. Uh, number three is jumping to conclusions. There's kind of two ways that this happens where number one is mind reading. Like we just assume that we know what somebody else is thinking. Again, this is a mental shortcut. You're, you're not, being a, a bad person. This is what your brain does subconsciously. So thinking that you know what someone else is thinking is, is one type of um, one way that we jump to conclusions. The other thing is like fortune telling, thinking that we can predict the future. One thing that I know for sure is that the future is unpredictable. Uh, but there's often times where we just assume we know what's going to happen. And we jump to that conclusion because it's, it's, it's quicker for your brain to get from point A to point B. You might feel that way, right? We, we, could, we could lump all three of these together right now. Like with your nutrition, you might have all or nothing thinking in the way that you operate. You might only be using certain types of evidence. Like you're looking at the times you were unsuccessful and you're ignoring any of the positive stuff that has happened along the way. So your mental filter is only on the negative stuff. And you jump to conclusions when it comes to fortune telling, like, well, I already know that I'm going to fail again. So why even bother? Right. That would be an example of all three of those cognitive distortions playing and having an impact on even your ability to get started, even your ability to just take one step forward. You might be struggling with all three of those cognitive distortions and saying to yourself, um, well, I either need to do everything perfectly or why even bother? Um, I've only ever had negative experiences, no positive, and I can already predict the future. I know that I'm going to fail. I always self-sabotage, right? And, and we're going to get into some other cognitive biases that actually fit along the lines with what I'm saying. Um, number four is emotional reasoning. We assume that just because we feel a certain way, that it must be true, right? So 
I feel embarrassed. Therefore I must be an idiot or a jackass or whatever you want to call it. Um, emotions are horrible, horrible. Let me, let me like really emphasize this. Emotions are horrible things to use for decision-making or for drawing conclusions. Emotions are great. Like in terms of telling us how we feel in terms of speaking objective truth and facts, emotions are really unreliable. Um, I, I saw a quote that was running around on the running around, literally circulating the interwebs. It was running around on, on social media. And it said something along the lines of, you know, imagine that you are a, your, your, your body is like a koi pond or something like that. And, and the fish in the pond are the emotions. Like you're the pond, but the fish are the emotions and they just swim by and do their thing. And like, they exist, but like, you're not the fish you're the pond. So like a lot of times we think that we are the emotions, like you are not anger. You can feel angry, but you are not anger. You are not sadness. And, and sometimes we use emotions as a lens through which we make decisions, which is a really bad idea. And this is why I think it's important that we have a decision-making framework. How do we analyze something? Like when you have a tough decision, a lot of times people just use the emotion to then make the decision, right? Now, let me be clear. Emotions can actually be a great driver for taking action, but a horrible driver for making proper decisions. What do I mean by that? Okay, let's say emotionally you're feeling frustrated or um, upset or disappointed because you're not where you want to be physically. You have not reached your your goals, whether it's, you know, nutrition, fitness, life, relationships, whatever it may be, you're, you're feeling upset, you're feeling frustrated, you're disappointed in yourself. Okay. So those emotions can, can drive you to action. Like I'm in pain and I don't want to be in pain anymore. So I'm going to take action. It can be a great driver for action. Like when I first started my fitness journey, it was completely driven by, by shame. Like I hated where I let myself get to, I was, I was upset. I was disappointed. There was probably a little depression in there. There was a lot of negative emotions that was like, Hey, you need to get up and fucking do something, change it, fix it. Like get out of this painful situation that you're in. I don't like feeling this way. Okay. So it can be a great driver for taking action. But now when it comes to actual decisions, think about it. All of those emotions led me to make really poor decisions with what programs to actually do, what nutrition programs to try, how to eat, how to exercise, how to talk to myself. All of these things were horrible decisions that were driven by emotion. So it was a great driver for action, but it was a horrible filter for decisions, which is why when you're feeling motivated or you're feeling inspired to do something, to take action, regardless of, of the reason for it, we have to have some kind of a mental filter. I view it as like, okay, we've, we've got this emotion. We've, we're feeling this certain way. We know that emotional reasoning is going to tell us that because we feel this way, it must be true. We have to have a way of like putting on like this pair of glasses that almost like blocks out all of the bias and bullshit and, and everything else that's trying to cloud our judgment. It's like these, this focus pair of glasses that we put on to then see 
which decision we should actually make. And I'm going to go into more detail about that at the end, because I think that the decision-making framework is really an effective way to just analyze, like, are, are we moving in the right direction? Uh, um, and are we making the decision for the right reasons versus are we letting our emotions take us down a path that's going to have a, an unfortunate ending like it did for me when I made all of those decisions related to my body. And um, those weren't, those weren't the best decisions. Uh, number five, cognitive distortion labeling. Uh, we assign labels to ourselves, to other people. Uh, and, and we do this because when you label something, your brain automatically assumes all of these things about the label. Like the reason why we're so quick to put people into groups or to categorize them, label them. The first thing that you ask somebody is like, what do you do for a living? Because when they answer, there's all of these um, presumptions that go along with it, right? You're meeting a person for the first time. Like you don't know this person. They could be a terrible person and you're, you're on high alert. You're like, well, do I have to protect myself? Are we going to fight? Like what's going to happen? Are you a nice person? Are you a jackass? What's going on here? So the first thing is like, hey, how are you? How's your day? Amazing. Okay, cool. Nice to meet you. Uh, what do you do for a living? And they're like, oh, I'm a lawyer. And then immediately you have all of these assumptions about lawyers because you got a label. This is what our brain does. It shortcuts the processing, um, you know, the, the processing load to have to get from point A to point B. So you want to know, like, if you know, like their, their political affiliation, if you know their religion, if you know their, what they do for a living, all of these things, all of these labels that we place, it might not be true. A lot of the stuff might be totally off base, but our brain feels comfortable with a label because we have all of these conclusions that we draw from labeling. It's actually one of the things that I dislike the most about our society. This is one of my least favorite cognitive distortions. I do it too. We all do it, right? We're all subject to it. But it's so unfortunate because we often think that there's just category, like there's these buckets that people fit in and most people don't like, you know, it's, it's ridiculous to think that there's like liberal or conservative and there's nothing in between, right? It's ridiculous to have like a two party system of like, dem, you know, and obviously I know, but like for all intents and purposes, Democrat, Republican, it's asinine. It makes no sense. There's so much overlap. There's so much middle ground. There's so much gray area. It, it is my least favorite cognitive distortion that we're obsessed with placing people into boxes and buckets. We do it with nutrition. We do it with training. We do it with everything. It's like you have to fit into this category because then I feel safe because I know more about you, which is totally bullshit. It's just a cognitive distortion. Unfortunately, we all have it. So that's not going to go away anytime soon. We just have to navigate it. We have to be aware of it especially when you find yourself labeling or judging yourself or somebody else, just try to have awareness. Um, does, you know, am I unfairly labeling or judging based off of this thing, this category? Am I doing it to myself? Am I doing it to another person? Just create awareness. Um, number six, overgeneralizing. This is where you like jump to a conclusion based off of like one single event. Like you don't even have like an example would be, um, you know, we, we jump to conclusions. Uh, I always screw up on the weekend and like, it was one weekend that you fucked up. Like I always, right. We, we overgeneralize something. We see a pattern based off of a single event or a single data point. Oh, my weight always goes up. And it's like one day where it went up and actually it's trending down over time, but we overgeneralize based off of one single event. Um, and then 
another one, uh, where are we at? Number seven, disqualifying the positive where you discount good things that happen um, or you, you uh, excuse them. Like if somebody points it out, like you, you know, something went well and you like discount it or you have to qualify it. You're like, well, I know this might not be a big deal, but this positive thing happened. You try to downplay it or you completely ignore it. And then if somebody, if somebody says, oh, but you told me that, you know, you, this, this happens with coaching all the time, right? Like a client's like, oh, well, nothing, you know, this week was terrible. Nothing went well. And like, then you look at all of the things you look at like data and information and all that stuff. And you're like, wait a minute, you said that nothing went well this week. But then when I looked at your check-in, uh, you said you had more energy. You said your workouts were great, whatever. And then, then you'll like discount it as in, well, that doesn't count because blank. And you'll have some reason why the positive is not like, it's not a real thing, right? You, you just downplay it. You disqualify it. You excuse it. Like, well, that doesn't count because blank. Or you like, it was some extenuating circumstances, right? You can't just give yourself credit. It was some outside thing. Um, so that's another cognitive distortion that we have. Uh, another thing that we do is called um, magnification and minimization, where we blow things out of pro- proportion or we inappropriately shrink something to make it seem less important. Uh, so oftentimes, um, the other thing that, that we're like, when, we're, when you're future pacing, we are really, really bad at predicting the impact, positive and negative, that events will have. So if somebody's like, you know, oh my God, I, you know, if I were to get laid off, it would be the worst thing that ever happened to me in my life. Now, I'm not saying that getting laid off would be a positive experience, but we predict the future state to be much worse than it is. Same thing with positive situations. Oh, if I won the lottery, it would be the greatest thing to ever happen to me. And I'm not saying that you wouldn't be happy. What I'm saying is that we have a cognitive distortion. We have a cognitive bias that tells us that the emotional state, the positive will not be as great as you think it will be. We are horrible at predict. So we over um, exaggerate things. And then we also minimize things sometimes to, to make it seem less important. So we've got like the full spectrum of magnification and minimization. We magnify the way that we think future events will make us feel. And we're really bad at that. And then we also minimize certain things to make it seem less important. Like, oh, well, that's not really a big deal. Um, I see this all the time with uh, people who assume that they can't afford coaching. Like this is one of my favorite comments is the whole, like, I know that I need this. I know I need coaching. I know it's the best thing for me, um, but I can't afford it. Very rarely. Now there are absolutely 1000% situations where the person truly can't afford it. It's, it is few and far between. Most of the time, it is a cognitive distortion. Most of the time, it's thinking um, only in terms of like, what does my bank account say in this very moment? And not looking at all of the evidence to the contrary. Like, you've probably spent money on things. You've probably made it work. Um, like, you are over-exaggerating the impact that like putting down a deposit will actually have on your ability to pay bills and do the things that you need to do. It's a cognitive distortion. You're thinking, no, it's multiple cognitive distortions. It's number one, thinking that you can predict the future. It's number two, over magnifying the impact of that future event. Um, and, and so really understanding like you're spending money, 
You're spending way more money than that on other things. Um, you've spent money on things before and it didn't make you go bankrupt. You didn't have to, you didn't go broke. You were still able to make it work. You got resourceful. Uh, so it's really like you're, you're ignoring all of the evidence and you're just allowing the emotion and the fear to run that decision. It's a, you know, here, here's another example where cognitive distortions oftentimes lead us to the wrong decision. It leads us to a decision that is not in our best interest. Um, which is typically why I always say like, if you need to be convinced of something, it's probably not a good fit for you because you're allowing, like, you have to truly be aware of those cognitive distortions. You have to truly be able to step outside of that and say, you know what? I know that I want this. And I know how important it is for me. So I'm going to use my, my logic based, my filter that we're going to talk about in a second to make the best decision that takes skill. It takes practice. It takes time. So if somebody's not ready for that, I never want to force it. I never, my objective is to never convince somebody of anything. It's more so, do you know you want this? Do you know you're ready to commit and follow through? Amazing. Then let's go. Um, if not, if you're going to beat around the bush, if you're going to believe all of the lies that you tell to yourself, like you've got some shit to work through, take the time to work through that shit. And then when you're ready, then let's go. Um, so that's another one. And then number, I think we're on number nine is the should must um, cognitive distortion where we use words like should must ought to uh, where it can make you feel guilty or it feels like you've already failed. Like I should be able to do this. I, I must do this. I should be able to do that. Uh, and it also applies when you, you know, if you think about how you would, how other people would feel if you said it to them, like oftentimes that like they would be frustrated um, or you would be frustrated if you make assumptions about what other people should do, and then they're not following through on that. It's not fair either way. So catch yourself in those things. Well, I should be able to do this. Why? Like who says you should be able to do this? Um, I must, I ought to. And then it makes you feel guilty. Or it makes you feel like you're already a failure before even doing anything. So that's another one. And then number 10 is the personalization distortion. This is the last one where. Um, you basically take take the blame for everything. It's always my fault. This is all my fault. Um, and then the other side of that is where you blame others for things that are actually your fault. Um, so the personalization one can can also show up where you are deflecting blame. That's pretty common. Um, both sides are pretty common. You have people that typically blame themselves for everything. Um, there's an example of one of our clients named Sari, who I talk about relatively frequently because she's had an amazing transformation. She started with a program that I used to work for and she gained 50 pounds with that program. And they kept telling her that it was her fault, that she's not consistent enough, that she's not following the plan, that she has to do better. Meantime, she was like 1000, she's like, was completely dialed in to a T, like talk about perfectionism and doing everything right, like checking every single box. And then they would keep throwing other boxes at her and she would check those boxes. And then ultimately it was just like, well, you must be the problem. You, it's your fault. You're not doing, you're not trying hard enough. You're doing too much. You're doing whatever. And she took the blame for something that wasn't her fault. This is another, this is a cognitive distortion. Um, it's easier to, you know, rather than having your brain go through like the nuance of the situation and really think like, is it my fault? Um, it's a shortcut to just say, okay, this is me. It's me. Uh, it's also a shortcut to, to push off responsibility when you're to blame 
and to be like, oh, it's it's everybody else. This is what I talk about with windows and mirrors, where you, you look at all the reasons why you're not successful and you're pointing out the window. It's this, it's this, it's this. When in reality, that window is a mirror and it's truly you. So this cognitive distortion works both ways. It can be taking blame for everything and not realizing that some things aren't your fault, even if they're your responsibility, some things aren't your fault. Um, and then it also comes into play when you are blaming other people for things that actually are your fault. So those are my top 10. There's a lot more, um, but those are the ones that I think really paint a clear picture as to why we suck at decision-making. So with that being said, there's a very simple filter that I use. These are the glasses that I'm talking about. We know that emotions are a horrible lens through which we should view our decision-making criteria. It can help you take action, but it makes you typically, um, it makes you a poor decision maker. So what are the pair of glasses? It's very simple. And, and this is just one filter that I use. I can talk about other filters in different episodes if this is even remotely interesting, which I'm not sure that it is. Uh, we'll find out, I guess, very soon. Anyway, the filter looks like this. We're looking at three things when it comes to making a decision. What is the decision that requires the least amount of, least amount of risk, least amount of effort, and most amount of options? It provides the most amount of options, least amount of risk, least amount of effort, and provides the most amount of options, the highest optionality. Now, why low risk? Obviously, because we want to keep asymmetry to the upside. When we're making a decision, we want to look at what is the downside, what is the upside, which has the least amount of risk. We're going to play the least amount of risk, and we're going to let time and randomness give us that asymmetry to the upside. That's number one. Least amount of effort. A lot of people are surprised by this. We're like, well, I thought you had to like bust your ass and, and work all day and no days off, beast mode. Like, no, that's a horrible way of thinking <laughs> because a plan that requires you to be at your best all the time to see results is a terrible plan. If you're always required to be at your best to see success, you will never be successful. It's impossible. It is an impossible standard. Think about running a marathon. If you had to sprint the entire marathon in order to, to win the race or in order to finish the race, um, you're probably not going to finish. You're going to blow yourself up. Now, conversely, if you have a plan that requires you to be average in order to see progress, that's a great plan because I can beat my worst. I can depend on average. I can't depend on being my best every single day. That just puts me right back in the all or nothing trap. I want a plan where I can zone pace it, where I can be average. And then when I'm feeling my best, it's just a bonus. It's like the turbo button. Great. And then on days when I'm my worst, it doesn't wreck my progress because I'm, there's not this huge gap from where I need to be to where I am at my worst. Okay. I hope that makes sense. It's easy to beat your worst. It's really difficult to always beat your best. And it's insanely, I'll, I'll just say, it's impossible to be at your best every single day. So least amount of effort. By the way, let's not confuse effort with output. Remember, we need to know like what that minimum effective dose looks like. I made a post today that I basically said, uh, I trained legs on Monday and now I'm done training legs for the week, which is a true statement. I only need to train legs once per week. I can maintain the muscle in my legs with one time a week of training. Most people can. Right now, I don't have a goal of growing 
my legs. I'm cool with where my leg muscles are right now. Um, I don't have goals that are related to growing my legs. So minimum effective dose, less effort, meaning I can get the same result in half the amount of time. If I trained legs twice a week, I'm not doing myself any favors other than training a body part that I don't have goals to grow, but I'm putting in an extra day. That's more effort. If I can train three days a week and maintain my physique the same that I can with six days a week, least amount of effort. Now you might decide that you actually really love to train. So you want to do more frequency. That's a whole different story. The bottom line is output and and effort are different. So if I can get the same output, there's there's a quote in one of the office episodes. Um, I'm a big office fan. I haven't watched it in a while, but I ran through it like four or five times front to back. So I'm pretty well-versed. Um, and it's, it's early on in, I think, season one. And Michael Scott is talking about Jim and he's like, you know, all these positives. He's like, you know, the one thing I will say is he's not really the hardest worker. I mean, there's some things that take me, that take me hours to complete and he gets it done in 30 minutes. Right. And obviously the joke is that Michael Scott is not the brightest. And so Jim is able to do something much quicker. It's the output is the same. The effort and the time put in is greater for somebody who's working less efficiently. Right. So it's the same concept here. When we're making decisions, the least amount of effort doesn't mean you're not trying. We still want to see what the output looks like. But if we can get the same output for less effort, the minimum effective dose, that's a win. By the way, the same result with less effort is a win. That's not being lazy. That's called working smarter. That's, that's efficiency. The same result with less effort is a win. Meaning, here, let's use another nutrition example. If I can maintain my body weight with three untracked days, Okay, maintenance. I'm maintaining my current physique with three untracked days. And if I can kick that up to five untracked days and have the same exact result, that is a win. I added flexibility and freedom, less effort, less tracking, less due diligence, right? Less effort, same result equals win. So when we're we're going through our decision-making framework, number one, least amount of risk. Number two, least amount of effort. And number three, highest optionality, most amount of options. Why is this important? Because if you are trying to get from point A to point B and your only option is one road, that is a risky proposition, right? If your only option is you have to take this road, imagine you go on ways, right? And you type in your your destination and you're trying to go somewhere Say you're taking the family on a nice little vacation road trip. Okay. And Waze tells you that there's this, there's just one path that you can take. There's no other path. This is the only way to get there. And you look at alternate routes and it tells you there's no more. There's no other. This is it. Okay. Now, this is a hypothetical. So just roll with me here. Now, along that road trip, anything goes wrong on that one path, you're fucked. Road closure construction, whatever, um, storm, shitty weather, like you can't drive in these conditions, you're done. That's the only path, right? So high optionality tells you there are multiple paths that you can take to get to your goal. Think about this conceptually, ready? Okay, 
Uh, should I join coaching? I have, I have goals, right? I want to get leaner. I want to be more fit. I want to look better naked. I want to get stronger. I want to perform better. I want to live a healthy lifestyle. I want to set a better example for my kids. Okay. There's the decision. Now, emotionally, we know we can't rely on emotions. So just because you're feeling upset or uncomfortable or frustrated and pain, okay, that can lead you to action, right? Action being, I'm going to do something about this. Now, the decision, should I do something about this? Like, should I join coaching or should I do something about this on my own? Okay. You know, you're taking action because you're in pain. You're uncomfortable. You want to get out of that pain. You want to achieve your goals. Okay. So should I join coaching? Um, Lower risk. Yes. It's typically a lower risk, especially if you're joining pop, because we give you a whole risk-free situation, meaning that some people would say, well, the risk is I pay the money and I don't get the result, which is valid. If that's a risk, you have to weigh that out. Um, the risk of doing it on your own is not achieving the goal, not achieving the goal on your own, especially if you have a track record of not being able to do it on your own, then that's the risk that you're taking, not being able to get to your goals. Okay. Now the risk of spending the money and not getting to your goals we render that useless because we, we, only, we only charge anyone who reaches their goals, meaning that you, you pay. If you don't reach your goals, you get your money back. So there's no risk there, but that's just for us. I don't know if everybody does that, but if we're using POP as the example, that is the lowest amount of risk because there literally is no risk. Okay. So let's look at the least amount of effort. This one's pretty simple. Doing it on your own is a lot of effort. Like you have to spend the time, the energy, the stress, the frustration, sifting through information, getting a whole bunch of different things from different sources. It is a high effort proposition to do it on your own. Doing it with a coach, very low effort. Most of the stuff is done for you. You don't have to make a lot of decisions. You just have to follow through and provide feedback. And that's it. Very low effort. So that one's pretty easy. And then highest optionality. Now, with a good coaching program, there are multiple paths to get to your goal, right? So you can you can track macros, you can not track macros, you can you know do you know certain types of trainings, not do certain types of trainings. You can all like there's literally unlimited. We have unlimited tools in the toolbox to get you from point A to point B. What we do is we try to insert the most efficient path for each individual, and then we can adjust based off of real-time feedback. So we know there's multiple options. If our current plan is not getting us there, that's okay. We've got the backup plan. Then we've got the backup to the backup, right? And then we assimilate new information. We say, what did we learn? How can we continue to move forward? Very high optionality. Now, doing it on your own also has high optionality um, because you can choose to do whatever you want. You can choose to go keto. You can choose to do paleo. You can choose to do Optavia, whatever. Uh, I guess that really wouldn't be on your own, but, um, and that would be a terrible decision <laughs> anyway. But my point is that you still have high optionality. Um, now, the problem with that kind of optionality is typically you're just firing from the hip. You don't actually know what's moving you forward, what's moving you further away. It's kind of a, a randomness of just pick a, pick a card and hope that it, that it wins. Um, versus actually having a game plan and, and knowing which way you're going. So both of them have high optionality. I would edge towards the one that comes with expert guidance, but real simple, you break it down. Okay, 
lower risk with getting coaching uh, because there is no risk. And the, the risk of not doing coaching is not reaching your goals, which is pretty devastating for a lot of people. Lower effort, easy one, much more effort to do it on your own, lower effort to do it with a coach. Um, and then high optionality, both are going to have high optionality, but typically you're going to get better options when you have a coach telling you which direction to go. So it seems pretty straightforward. Like we remove all of the bias, we remove the distortion and we just say, what's the least amount of risk, least amount of effort, most amount of options. And that's why for most people, coaching is an easy decision. Now, for some people, they allow the emotions, they allow the cognitive distortions, they allow all of these things to insert into their mind, which is normal. That's called being a human. It's nothing to feel bad about. We all do it. It's awareness and then taking a step back and putting that filter back on, put those glasses on. Least amount of effort, least amount of risk, most amount of options, and then make the best decision for yourself. Um, That's how it should be done. If you are in that position, you can take the action. You can go to neurotypetraining.com. You can fill out an application. We tell everybody, honestly, whether they're a fit, a good fit for us or not, um, we have a, a pretty diligent process for screening people. And we've gotten more strict with this um, because we know who we help. We know who our person is. And we also know who's not a good fit. And we will tell you straight up, honestly, we will tell you straight up and honestly, if you are not a good fit for what we do. And sometimes people have a hard time hearing that and they fight back. And usually that's a good sign that they're not ready. Like if you're trying to convince us of something, just like we don't convince you of anything, you shouldn't try to convince us of anything. If we feel like it's not a good fit, it's not a good fit. Um, again, for the people that know that they're going to follow through and commit, they're like, I know this is important to me. I know I want this. I'm done believing my excuses. I'm done believing that there's a right time. Like, this is going to pay off a million times over. That's our person. That person crushes every fucking time. Like we've had examples across the board. Um, Mel's working with a client. Um, her name is Doris. I'm not going to say her last name because um, she's had some, some stuff that has gone on recently. Death in the family, um, surgery, injury, not being able to work out and his, is down 20 pounds. So for all the people that are like, well, it's not the right time because this, this, and this, She's a perfect example of somebody who was just like, you know what? This is too important to me and I'm going to follow through. I'm going to control what I can and I'm going to show up for myself. I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to make it happen. Um, Annalise just signed up for coaching. She is in the Congo. She had got malaria on day two of our challenge. Easy excuse to be like, I'm sick. I can't do this. She was like, no, not only do I want to continue doing this, but I want more accountability. I want more support. She went from our challenge to one-on-one coaching um, because there are certain people that do not allow their excuses to win and they don't allow themselves to believe their excuses. And those are the people that are ready, that are going to jump in and crush. And, and we see it across the board. Um, you know, Doris is a perfect example of that. Stacy is a perfect example of that down also down 20 pounds has a lot on her plate. Like we have examples of this across the board that tell us exactly who we help and who's not a good fit. So for the people that try to, um, that allow their emotions to get the best of them, that, you know, they can't make rational decisions. They overgeneralize. They're always a failure. Right. And like, they don't want to change. They're just like, this is who I am. And 
that's how it's all always going to be. Great. Then continue to be that way and hope for the best. Or you can determine that you're, you're just going to follow through and commit no matter what. If you're that second person that knows this is important, that knows you need this, that wants to follow through, just go to neurotypetraining.com and fill out our coaching application. I will leave it at that. The rest is up to you. Hopefully this was helpful. I would love to hear some feedback. I know this was a little bit different today, but again, it's stuff that fascinates me. So I hope that you relate to it at least a little bit. If nothing else, hopefully you learned something. I appreciate you and I will talk to you guys very soon.